you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. We're continuing tonight on our series on prayer. And it says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, the supplication, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. And so, we see first of all that he says to this young man, Timothy, who is struggling in Ephesus. There was just a number of issues that were happening. He was not confronting the heretics. He wanted to leave. He wanted to quit pastoring. Um, He wasn't raising up elders. He wasn't using the gifts of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And there were just a number of issues where... um, He was just biding time and not really in the race, not really being a soldier of God. And so Paul here is is having to set things in order. He tells him in chapter 1, you need to start getting to these guys' face and rebuke them and hand them over to Satan if you need to for their flesh to be destroyed and, and, uh, and, and not to be dragging other people down. It was, it was uh, basically, you need to, 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 get, you need to wake up and, and get in the game here because this is real. This is a real thing. And so now he, he really starts trying to help him understand how to have a successful body of believers. And he says, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks. This word exhort, it's, it's far greater than just, uh, oh, I'm trying to, you know, encourage you. Actually, this word is more often translated beg or beseech. It's an intense desire. We see this same word Paul uses in Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, there it is, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And so it's a very simple thing. First of all, he said, I I, I just, I can't, be earnest enough to, to say to you, start having a life of prayer. Timothy, I'm begging you to make in the church prayer the first priority. Now, there is just a difficulty with our flesh cooperating with us, right? I mean, our flesh loves to watch TV. Our flesh loves to uh, sleep in on Saturday mornings or whatever, right? We don't have to say, I exhort you (laughs) to relax and rest. And, you know, we don't have to do that. The Bible doesn't say, I exhort you to love chocolate cake. It doesn't have to. The Bible only has to command us and exhort us when we in maturity have to fight 
against the natural flow of our flesh. Now, back before when I was in young married group, there was a, a number of people that were just a few years married longer than Cheryl and I. And uh, every time they talked about us, these, these people that had little kids, they would say, oh, well, you and Cheryl don't understand because you're single. We're like, we're married. No, you don't have kids yet. You're single, trust me. And in essence, when you are married, you, you start to realize, man, I've got I to gotta live contrary to how I've lived if this marriage is going to work. So your inclination as a guy has to, to really work hard to, 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 you know, to listen to the exhortation of your wife you know, whether it's the toilet lid or not throwing your dirty underwear on the floor or whatever it is. But if you didn't get the message, you're definitely going to get it with screaming kids, right? What happens with that baby? It's just people walking around exhausted all the time. Oh, you know, getting any sleep. And as soon as we sat down, the kids start screaming again. And then it had an earache. And then it had colicky. And then it was, you know, and, and it just, that, those little babies just just constantly or give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, and, and you have to give and give and give and give, and, and, and you become a different person, right? And, and now, if you are a parent here that's had kids, you, 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 you have changed, and you are a much more giving person. But in reality, we'll just say you've matured, Right? And so you, you see the young Christian who's, you know, everything's new. Everything's exciting. Did you hear that song? Yeah, we've been singing it 20 years. Man, did you see that verse in the Bible? Yes, we've, I do know that verse in the Bible, you know. Um, well, man, I, you know, I just read this song. You got to check, you know, everything's exciting. Every song, every church service, every fellowship, every word. Those were, that, that honeymoon period is just great, isn't it? But then, <laughs> all of a sudden, that newness wears off, and now it's, I've got to, I used to read the Bible like crazy for the first eight months or a year as a Christian. Sometimes it lasts a couple years for people. But now, I, I, I hear the Lord's command, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right, and, and we read all the scriptures on how we daily, you know, Psalms 1, meditate on God's word day and night. Then you'll be strong. Then you'll bear fruit. Then you'll be prosperous in all you do. And, and, and then we, we have to sort of exhort ourselves to say, your flesh is screaming not to be spiritual, <laughs> not to go to church or not to read the Bible or not to share your faith or, or whatever. And, but yet we get exhorted to, to do it. And then we get back in the word, and man, it's so fruitful in your life. And you have something to share. And, and this thing's flowing again. And, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes and exhorts you to start evangelizing. You've never done that really before. But you step out in faith and you share the Lord. And somebody comes to Christ. And, and 
you realize, wow, I, I can tell you, when I shared the Lord with that person, I felt nothing. I felt the opposite. I felt like I was in the flesh sharing the Lord with them. I felt like it was, it was like the, the most unnatural, unspiritual thing I've ever done, sharing Christ with these people. But yet I just said, like a robot almost, God loves you, he died on the cross for you, you know, if you want, you can come to Christ right now, and, and they did. And I'm, I look at it going, man, had I listened to the inclinations of my flesh, I wouldn't have shared the Lord with them, but, but it was because of that exhortation to just step out in faith and share my faith, and whether you feel like it or not, in season, out in season, and I did it, and wow, my flesh was wrong. My feelings were wrong. My, my, my feeling of spiritual spirituality, I guess, was, was wrong. I was being incredibly spiritual, but I didn't feel it at all. Matter of fact, I felt the opposite of what I'd like to feel when I feel spiritual. And, and you get to that place, you grow as a Christian in maturity. Just like the parent who, who's exhausted and has nothing left to give and, and the baby's crying at three in the morning. And you're just like, I cannot help that baby. I, I, everything in my body says, I can't get up. I can't go get a bottle. I don't have the strength to change the diaper. I don't want to sit and rock him for three hours. I want to sleep and I want to, but what do you do? Your, your body can scream all at once. Your, your brain can give you all the excuses in the world to not do it, but you're going to do it, right? And, and you learn in that of not listening to your body and you start experiencing things in that mindset of, of having to push and push and give and and change the diaper and feed and cradle and walk and help and 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 all of a sudden you, you realize wow this this character sort of works I'm a better employee now and wow I'm I'm a better spouse and wow I'm I'm finding disciplines in other areas of my life that I'm pushing past that I used to push and then oh I give up don't do it too hard and I, I'm not doing that anymore well the reason I'm pointing this out is that often Christians will go through the honeymoon period and now that it comes down to really walking by faith and just out of sheer obedience, obeying Christ to really see the real fruitfulness in their life, they have convinced themselves if it's not comfortable, if it doesn't fill this spiritual thing just so so, I don't have to participate. Well, I, I saw you last Sunday. You were lifting your hands and clapping and and. Yeah, but this week I just, you know, didn't feel the spirit moving me to lift my hands and clap and and sing. I just, you know, it just wasn't happening. Well, did God's word change? Did God's spirit change? Or does the command still say, lift your hands unto the Lord? Shout unto the Lord to the voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all you people. I mean 
is, it, is, it, is that what it means to lift your hands, clap your hands, sing, shout to the Lord? When you get moved in a certain way. And I, and I say that because I think in traveling a big part of this world, I discovered that Americans uniquely listen to their feelings. I think a lot of it has to do with the Hollywood programming, you know, of where the couple meets each other and all of a sudden the orchestra is playing this beautiful music in the background and, and, and you know, little star sprinkles are coming down and it just starts raining, they get under the umbrella or whatever it is and, oh, and then the music and then the sunset and the picture of the ocean and the movie's over, you know, and, and, and we're, we're wanting this sense of romance. We're wanting this sense of, of, um, of filling with our love, with our relationships. And th- we do have that sometimes. But you, you cannot survive on that. And isn't that, in essence, what we do with our kids as they're going through school? You know, when they're real small in kindergarten, oh, I'm tired of coloring, okay, don't color anymore. But then when they get into first grade, hey, I don't want to finish these last four math problems. You're like, sorry. <laughs> you, you, this is your homework. You, you've got to complete it. Well, I don't want to. I want to watch TV. I want to... I, I know that's what you want to do, but th- this is what you're not going to do. And what happens as parents? You become the wall. And they're wondering if they can move the wall. <laughs> And so they cry and they pout and they argue and, 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 and you, you as a parent, it's a horrible thing, but you got to just be the wall. And eventually they just say, I can crash against the wall for an hour, but I'm still going to do those problems. I'll just get the problems done. And then they learn. They get to that place going, I don't want to do these last four problems. Well, I can't get out of it. I just got to get them done. And they get them done. The reason I'm, I'm saying that is because prayer uniquely has no strength of the flesh. You're going to find that to truly walk in maturity in prayer, all fleshly feelings have to die. And so you have those times, oh, I need inspiration. I'm going to read the Bible. Oh, I just need to be encouraged. I can't wait to go to church. I need to get encouraged. But then we get up those days where, oh, man, I just need to lay here. I, you know, nobody's making me go to church, so I'm not. I'm staying here. Or, you know, hey, I, we, we can get in that, that mindset. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. If it feels good, do it. And so here, and Paul is, is having to say to Timothy, I'm I'm begging you. First priority above everything else. And it's interesting that the word he uses here is supplication. He doesn't say giving of thanks first or intercessions first or even prayers. But he says supplication. The number one thing is come to be this person who is striving in prayer. There's a great quote that says, those strong in the faith make prayer their first priority. 
But those who are weak in faith make prayer their last thought. And so we see that Paul is saying, Timothy, the first number one priority above everything in the church is that the people understand that they come to a mature life in prayer. If you don't have that down, whatever you get going, it's going to putter out. It's never going to have the real stain power. Now, what's interesting about this is when you, you say, okay, the Bible was written. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. But what was the actual first written part of the Bible? And what we do is we study through, especially Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, we, we ask ourselves this. First usage. What is the first time a certain word or phrase or thought is used? And the first time in the Bible where God says, Moses, I want you to start writing the Bible, <laughs> is in Exodus 17. And I think this is a very profound point because it's a story on this very issue of supplication. And so the first time the Bible says, write the Bible, is on this issue. And this is a story you might know well with Moses. And they're getting out of Egypt and the Malachites are picking them off, the weak, the weary, the half-hearted. And finally it gets so bad that, that Moses has to stop. And he has to tell Joshua and these guys who never handled a sword or a spear or a shield or knew anything about warfare to go down and fight against elite soldiers. And so Joshua and the gang go down the mountain into the valley and Moses stays up on the mountain looking down on the valley. And it tells us in Exodus 17, verse 11, and so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And the hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. But notice verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So it wasn't the action in the valley. It wasn't the intensity in the valley. It wasn't the clanging of the still in the valley. It wasn't the spears and the arrows flying in the valley. If you took Moses out of the equation, Amalek would have won. But Moses is, is again, it's interesting. If you look up to this point in the Bible and you ask yourself, what did they know about God? It wasn't that much. 
God, the light they had from the beginning of creation up to Moses, they really didn't know that much about God. And so really here, this whole concept of prayer and understanding what God's requiring would have, would have been, everything would have been, I, this is new to me. And so here's this 80-year-old guy who's praying, but yet he's, he's supplicating. He's praying with intensity. He's striving. His hands are lifted up. If you do that for just even a couple of minutes, you're feeling it. Everything in your body says, put your hands down, at least for a second or two. And then, you know, reboot the system and then put the hands back up again. But it, it's, it's really uncomfortable. Very quickly. But Moses is, is understanding it's not just praying, but it's this intense praying where there is pain involved. Where there is driving involved. Where I'm having to work against my body and my flesh and my muscles and it's uncomfortable and burning and painful. But I've discovered that God is requiring this to continue until the sun goes down. They started at daybreak. So we're, we're talking a lot of hours here, guys. 12, 13, 16 hours without his arms coming down. And so you, you ask the question, what, what is God teaching us on this? What, what's God's point? I mean, couldn't have, have, have Moses, you know, folded his hands comfortably and prayed? And, and God is saying, no. And eventually it would just got ridiculous where Moses can't even stand up anymore and he has to sit down and and it gets to the point where he's hanging on to his staff and Aaron has it on one shoulder and her has it on the other shoulder and, and they're in pain. They're suffering. Moses is now just not, his hands are above his head, but he's hanging on and he's drooping and pulling with his weight down on their shoulder and they're adjusting and readjusting and he's adjusting and readjusting and, and, and he, he can't let his hands come down. And, and I think if you just stop and meditate on this for a while, you, you begin to, to, to realize what an extreme thing God is requiring of Moses in prayer. And it's not a, it's not a small thing. So your homework this week is to go keep your arms above your head for 16 hours I mean, that, that would just be brutal if, if even, even the thought of doing that causes me pain. But an 80-year-old guy doing that. And in essence, God's revealing himself. Who is God? What is his nature? It, it's, it's funny seeing kids trying to figure things out. I remember my kids were small and we went down and we were living at the orphanage in Mexico for a, a summer. And... Um, and my kids were small. I think Renee was five years old. Charles, I think Nathan was like four years old. Charles was a little baby, and Tracy wasn't born yet. But we were going down in the, the van, 
And, uh, and, and Renee notices these guys picking strawberries. But in her five-year-old mind, she's like, oh, I love Mexico because they're so healthy there. Look at all those people out in the field doing aerobics. Because the mariachi music's blazing, and in her mind, they're all... And we said, you know, honey, you know, you know, those are guys picking strawberries out there. No, 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 no. We, we had that wrong. <laughs> and we just chuckle. And, and, and by the end of the summer, she's like, you know, I think you're right. Because those guys are not really together. You know, when you do aerobics, you're more together than that. It's like, yeah, yeah, we were, we were never questioning it. It was you questioning it. <laughs> we knew what they were doing. But then we were down living in this little tiny camper and, you know, we had to use an outhouse. And, uh, and one night we were in the camper and there's a thousand flies in there because we were so close to the outhouse. And I would have to spend the evening, this is our ritual, killing all the flies so we could sleep without, you know. And, uh, and Nathan said, or no, Renee said, can't, can't we, do we have to kill all the flies? You know, can't we, can't we just ask them to leave? And of course, I started to answer this, and then I was interrupted by Nathan, who said, no, no, because they don't have time to talk. <laughs> oh, Really? Why, why is that? And then he sort of gave a whisper and said, because they got to go to the bathroom a lot. What makes you think flies got to go to the bathroom a lot? And he said, because every time I go in the outhouse, they're all in there. <laughs> it's so funny. They're, they're trying to figure it out. You know, and, and they're connecting dots that don't connect. But here, God is, is teaching us about prayer. We, we first see that, that this is his desire above all desires. He made man, the Bible tells us, for his pleasure. And how did he want to enjoy Adam and Eve? By walking in the cool of the evening and, and enjoying fellowship with them. But then when sin came in the world, it's a battle now. And so we see Jacob wrestling with God. And, and of course, God could have touched him and ended the wrestling match in one second, right? But they're wrestling and wrestling. God just lets it drag out all night. And I think at times he's, he, you know, he's letting Jacob think, you're winning, man, you're winning, you know? Or Jacob just would have laid down and, you know, played dead. But he, he's, he's making him think at times he could, you know, keep this up. And, and, and so it keeps dragging on all night long. Until finally his eyes are open and he says, you know, what's your name? And you can't handle my name. And Jacob realized I've seen God face to face. But he was spiritually unaware. And it was something that went on all night long in this wrestling with God. God not just wanting to bring Jacob into submission, but wanting to bring him into deep intimacy and fellowship 
and, and, uh, and something where he would never forget having experienced God. And so prayer, we, we, we realize here that our body is never gonna naturally pray. But, but I, I, I've sort of got my Bible to enjoy reading. The, first, I got my body re, enjoy reading the Bible. I sort of gotten my body, you know, in the habit of going to church. And I, I, I've, I've learned to just not listen to my emotions and just share the Lord at the gas bumper, the grocery store, at the guy with the park. And I, I do that pretty regularly. And I'm, I'm quite confident this is also going to happen in the area of prayer. And that's where I've got to tell you, no, it won't. No, it won't. If you're waiting for the stirring of emotions, it won't happen enough to make a difference. You may get in the habit and say, Lord, thanks for this food and bless all the people in the world, amen. But that wasn't what he asked for. First of all, I need you to understand there's an intensity, a supplication that word supplication, it's, it's, it's hard to even translate, but it's, it's a beseech. It's an intense request. I think the closest it really comes to in our concept is striving. Man, I'm, I'm striving. And, and you look in the Bible and it, it says, you know, God's not calling us to strive as Christians, but to let God's spirit work it out. However, in this area of prayer, he says, no, it doesn't apply. It is striving. That's the way your flesh is going to interpret it. You've got to beat yourself and prod yourself and force yourself to become a person of prayer because our body sold under sin, under bondage, and it's never going to ever submit to a life of a prayer. And so again, he says, I exhort first of all that supplications, this striving, this intensity in prayer. In Romans 8, 26, it says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us. How? With groanings, which cannot be uttered. When we don't pray, God's Spirit helps us, but how does it even come out? It comes out of some deep thing that words can't even use. And again, once again in Romans 15, 30, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and what? Through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. That word in the Greek, strive, it's the word suno agonizomai. It means strive together. We know the word agonizomai because it's where we get our word agony from. Paul is saying, I need you guys to agonize in prayer with me. Let God's Spirit take you into a place of groaning deeply, striving agonizing, arms lifted up, pain happening, 
Keep it up because the battle's still going on. Well, couldn't God end this battle in five minutes? He's not. This battle's going till dark. Well, couldn't God just let me lay down on the ground and face, prostrate myself face down and, and hands lifted up? That would be comfortable. That'd be a little more comfortable. Nope. Nope, not gonna happen. I mean, God, you're really requiring me, an 80-year-old guy, to have to agonize and strive and, and, and strain in such a way for so many hours. I'm, I'm through you, Moses, showing man my nature. Again, we try to figure it out. Are they doing aerobics or are they picking strawberries? I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain this. I'll find myself like my little kids trying to explain flies. I, 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 don't, I don't have an explanation for this. I just know that this is the creation of God. This is where we are in our human fallen state. And Paul is saying to the church, guys, there's doors that need to be open for me that are not opening. There's things that God desires to happen in my life, in my ministry, in the church in Rome that are never going to happen unless you join with me in not just a humdrum prayer, but an agonizing prayer. Elijah is an example of this. In James 5, verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails how much? Much, right? Boy, just stop there and, and just let that soak in. I'm striving and I'm not feeling it. I'm agonizing and I don't see it. I, you know, when I worship intensely, I walk away going, oh, that was tiring, clapping my hands and lifting my hands and singing, but whoo, man, I'm pumped up. I've got through the sermon and I learned so many new things and my brain's swimming and my heart stirred and wow. We get into prayer, what happens? Our mind starts wondering. Our body starts aching. We start remembering, I need to do that, I need to do that, I need to do that, I need to go there and and, and, and to try to have a fruitful time in prayer, we discover that flesh has to die in a way that it doesn't have to die in any other spiritual duty. But if you can, the fervent, agonizing, striving prayer avails much. And every one of us have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer here tonight. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I think that we often can do that. Well, Jesus prayed because he was God in human flesh. Well, Paul prayed because he was such an amazing apostle. Daniel prayed so much because he was such a holy guy. Moses prayed, so, you know, we can, we can say these are superhumans. And, and Jesus wasn't a superhuman. There's nobody in history that's been a superhuman in this way. Elijah was a guy just like you and me. He did not have a special DNA prayer gene. There wasn't a special insight into God that we didn't have. 
There wasn't some personality trait that just sort of leaned him towards praying, made it easier on him than the average person, and that's why he was the way he was. He was just like you and me, who had to beat himself, prod himself, deny himself, take up the cross in order to be this person. But even though he had a nature like ours, he prayed, how? Earnestly, striving, agonizing, that it would not rain. It did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, we have this story in 1 Kings chapter 18. And we discover here that Elijah, when he prayed that it would not rain, he wrestled with the Lord. And then when it came time to rain again, he wrestled with the Lord. The Bible tells us that he went and he bowed down. He put his head between his knees, kneeling out in the middle of nowhere. And he was crying out to God and he would send his servant to say, go look and see if you see any clouds in the horizon. It hasn't rained for three, over three years. And a servant said, nothing. And he prayed earnestly again and nothing. And again, and again, and again, and again. And he didn't stop until the seventh time his servant said, I, I see a little tiny thing, little dot out there about the size of a man's hand. I, I didn't even want to mention it to you. He's like, oh man, take off running before you get stuck in the mud. And boy, in a few minutes, it just started pouring down buckets and he barely got to where he needed to get the chariot before it got stuck. Elijah was a man who was just like us. Not a greater faith, not a greater obedience, not a greater insight, not a great praying body. He fought through all the fleshly weaknesses like you and I have and came to the place to learn that the prayers of a right, the fervent prayers of a righteous man avail what? Much. You're here tonight. You're going, well, this should help out a little bit. No. I don't know if we'll see it. I don't, definitely don't think we're going to fill it. I mean, it'd be great if we did. I love filling it. But we can know that we pray it affects much. We see Epaphras in the New Testament in Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently. Listen to those words. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect, complete in all the will of God. In essence, we can say he's Moses up on the mountain, right? And it's in essence... Paul is saying Epaphras knows if he's not up on the mountain with his hands lifted up, the Colossae church down in the valley won't come to the maturity they need to come to. <coughs> we see in Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer, supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. Do you hear these words? Praying 
Always, supplication, perseverance, supplication, being watchful, this, this soberness to realize the importance of it. First Thessalonians 3.10, night and day, praying exceedingly that you may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Men in particular, 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, doing what? Lifting up holy hands. You know, he is saying here, that picture of Moses was not just a one-time event. It is an example of the heart of God, of what he wants to see in the New Testament church. Isn't that what he's saying? That men in particular would lift up hands unto the Lord. Well, Finishing off here in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Another time I needed a Moses, and nobody was willing to be that sacrificial person, to lift up their hands, keep them up. And what happened? In that season, Israel lost the battle to the Malachites, if you would. Satan won that battle because there wasn't a Moses. God was saying if there was a Moses, they wouldn't have been destroyed. But there was no Moses. So to, if you're thinking, well, if I don't pray, God will just raise up somebody that will. Not always the case. And in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock and it will be open to you. And in the Greek, this would read, ask, keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, not keep on knocking. Everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. He who seeks and keeps on seeking will find. He who knocks and keeps on knocking, it will be open. Lord, we come before you tonight on the issue of striving in prayer. And we realize, Lord, that our bodies are sold under sin, under bondage, there's no good thing that dwells in us that is in our flesh. And we realize tonight, Lord, to be the people of God that are accomplishing much, that are winning the battles, that are seeing Christians matured, that are seeing the work of God go forward. We receive not because we ask not. And there's so often that you are saying, if my people will humble themselves and pray, then I can act on their behalf to do a mighty work of healing and power. And you are graciously waiting on us that you can be gracious and merciful unto us. And Lord, we're here tonight, and every one of us, to some degree, beat our flesh into objection to be here. Some people barely want it. It's coming in late, trying to get here, to, to, to be here. And some people are here early, knowing that if they don't get here early, their flesh will win out, and they'll miss out. And so, God, we, we need you to help us do what we cannot do. Grace, grace, Lord. But we realize tonight that we're not waiting for our bodies to cooperate anymore. We're not waiting to fill it anymore. We don't need to fill a rush from our prayer meetings. We don't need to fill an exuberance from our time together in worship in the word. 
if we don't feel stirred, if we don't feel emotionally lifted up, if we don't have a, a good feeling, it's okay. We're not listening to them anymore. We're walking by faith, not by our senses. And we just want to obey your word. If you say to kneel, we want to kneel. If you say stand, we want to stand. If you say lift our hands, we lift our hands. If you say pray without ceasing, we will pray without ceasing no matter how we feel, no matter what our body wants.